Eight weeks at least. And so she's going to be filling in there. So please encourage her. Come alongside of her if you want to jump into children's ministry and help serve. This is the time to do it. And my wife is on the front row saying amen as well. And so, and thank you for all your support. Um, but we'll introduce you. We'll get her up here in the next couple of weeks so you could put a name to the face. All right. Well, I am excited. And uh, we're continuing our series, All the Feels. And I can't seem to get off this subject of grief and loss and sorrow. And so I'm going to continue that. I'm going to be sharing my heart while I believe. Um, the Lord has me dwelling, at least for me personally, and I believe there's opportunity for us as a congregation uh, as we dive deeper into the subject today. Um, I jokingly say, uh, or have said during this series that, you know, a lot of times on Sunday morning we'll ask how each other, doing, how each other are doing and we'll say what? We'll say good, right? Blessed. Right, We will say all of these things, all of the right things. Uh, but a few months ago, uh, we went out to lunch after church, and we were at one of the local restaurants, and I seen someone I knew had, who had just attended service, and I asked them how they were doing. Now, I'm going to be completely honest. I was expecting the same canned, churchy response. But when I asked them how they were doing, they actually told me how they were doing. Can you believe it? Somebody was actually honest, and this person was not doing well in that moment. In fact, it completely caught me off guard, and when the person honestly told me they weren't doing well, my first thought was this, how can they not be well? They just heard a fantastic sermon. But how many know sometimes the sorrow that we're dealing with takes more than a sermon, it takes a someone to come alongside of you that will walk with you, that will pray with you, listen, that will lift your hands when you cannot lift them. It takes somebody to encourage and strengthen you while you're in the midst of the trial, while you're in the midst of the struggle. It doesn't always take a sermon, it needs a someone attached to the sermon. It takes someone living out the sermon, amen? And I wish I had a better story to tell you that I stopped and I laid hands on her and she was totally set free at that moment. But to be honest, I was not prepared to minister to that person's broken soul because I was caught off guard. So this morning, I want to talk to you for the next few minutes about it's okay to be not okay. Is that okay? Okay how to minister to our brokenness. The reason why I say our brokenness is because it's necessary to understand. According to scripture, if we are truly one body, if one of us is broken, we all feel the hurt of being broken. If one of us gets healed, we all celebrate, come on, the moment that we've all received healing. This is what 1 Corinthians uh, says. It says, the way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. 
Every part dependent on every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every part, everybody say every part. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt and the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into the exuberance or celebration. So how do we live in this tension of life being filled with both trials and triumph? How do we walk this life out where their attention exists, where I'm walking in the valley, but I also am walking in Christ victoriously. How do I balance the tension between tears flowing from my eyes to the transformation that I encounter when I encounter Jesus Christ, his presence and his power? How do we move forward as a congregation from a place of grief to a place of growth? You see, to deny the tension caused by these trials, these valleys, and the tears is to avoid the very circumstances that can create new life, new growth, and new seasons, and new perspectives in our walk with God. See, we're good at stuffing it. We're good at ignoring it. Remember, I talked about the indicators. We're, we're good at ignoring the dashboard of our life until we crash, until we fall out, and then everybody's wondering, well, what happened, well, what happened? Because we did not pay attention to the indicators or our emotions that were telling us, warning, warning, warning. You see, to ignore the importance of our emotional health connection to vibrant and victorious Christian life is absurd and cannot be avoided. In fact, Pastor Pete, Peter Scazzaro, who wrote Emotionally, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which I highly encourage you to read, he said this, it is not possible for a Christian to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. So my prayer is that this summer series would take us beyond the surface of cool sermon bites and quotes into allowing the Holy Spirit to search and examine the depth of our soul because I believe God is digging deep wells in our midst. Let me try this side over here. I believe God is digging deep wells in our midst. He wants to get below the surface and the superficiality, listen, of our churchianity because it's not Christianity, it's churchianity. He wants to get below the surface, why? Because he wants us to be a resource to the hurting and to the broken who walk through these doors or who cross our path when we're outside the four walls. He is digging deep wells. This is his desire. This is what he longs for. Psalm 139.23 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. Know my concerns. Know my thoughts. Can we say that together? I think I have the scripture up there. If not, just repeat after me. Say, search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me. And know my anxieties. This leads me to my first action step today. How many like sermons that have action steps? Come on, how many know we've got to be hearers and doers of the word, not just listeners of the word? 
And so I gave you an action step, and my first action step is this. List and lament our losses. Psalm 5, 1 to 3 says, listen to my words. Lord, consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray in the morning. Lord, you hear my voice in the morning. Everybody say, in the morning. Now all you night people say, in the morning. Two times, in the morning, in the morning. Lord, you hear my voice in the morning. I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. Now there's a lot of scriptures on night too, so I'm not gonna go there, all right? In the seat pocket in front of you, there is a card that we created for you to just list maybe three things in your life you have not taken the time to process or count it as loss. This could be natural losses like I already mentioned, maybe loss of a job or maybe you've recently transitioned from this place to that place. You could have lost a pet. You could have lost, there's a lot of categories for our losses, but a lot of times, listen, we don't take time to process the losses. And I wanted us to take a moment and as, the, as I'm speaking and as the Holy Spirit highlights some things to you, I want you to jot them down. You see, a lament is defined as a passionate expression of grief and sorrow. The laments that are in the book of Psalms that I've been talking about, they help us pay attention to the reality that life can be hard, that life can be difficult, that circumstances sometimes don't work out the way we think they should go. That the reality of life, again, can be even brutal. How many know it rains on the just and the unjust? I know we don't like this type of preaching and we don't like to amen this, but this is just the facts. It rains on the just and the unjust. You see, in the midst of struggle, laments, and this is why they're included in Scripture the laments assist us in wrestling with God's loyal, faithful love during times where he feels like he's absent, during circumstances that would shout at us, your God is not good. Have you ever been there before? Listen, where hell is breaking loose in your life, and listen, it feels as though you're in the desert. You're in a wilderness. Come on, you, can, you can't even feel God. You're kind of like, God, where are you? Amen. Has anybody been there besides me? Yes, Listen, you're in a wilderness. And laments help us cry out courageously for comfort and care when nothing else seems to soothe our soul. You see, some laments are not complaints. They are honest confessions. We talked about the honest confessions of grief, right? I am weak. I am sick at heart. I am worn out. My vision is blurred. Come on, how many you know sometimes you can't see the forest among the trees and you're asking God for clarity in the midst of chaos and confusion? You see, laments are honest prayers which help us vent the variety of negative emotions one can experience in the midst of disappointments and failures. 
Lamentations, I believe, are invitations to process the pain, the misunderstanding, the surprise that Pastor Kathy talked about last week, your fears, which Pastor Damien talked about the week before, your anger, and your disgust. I know a lot of people don't like these sermons, but did you know there is a book in the Bible called Lamentations, written by Jeremiah? Psalm 5.1 says, give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Have you ever been in a place where words couldn't even describe where you were at? Listen, that you were grieving a loss so much so, listen, that you couldn't put words around the loss, that all you could do was groan. Here's the good news. I know a God that interprets groans. Come on. You see, when we can't find words for the feelings and emotions that are stirred up by our losses, the Holy Spirit helps us to express the inexpressible. This is what Romans 8.26 says. In the same way, the Spirit. Notice that. In the same way. What are you talking about? In the same way, the Holy Spirit comes to us and helps us in our weakness. We do not know what prayer to offer or how to offer it as we should. But the Spirit himself knows our need and at the right time intercedes on our behalf with sighs and groanings too deep for words. Now, where is the Holy Spirit? Right? So who's groaning when you don't have words to express? The Holy Spirit. The same way, he says, the same way that when we find ourselves dealing with weakness and grace comes upon our lives, it's the same grace that comes upon us in our prayer life when we don't have words to express what the heck is going on in our lives. Sometimes because of our failure to accept our losses, we can find ourselves in deep places of discouragement, disappointment, and distress that words can't describe. But it's in these places that the Holy Spirit helps us in our prayer life. This is one of the advantages of having a prayer language, being baptized in the Holy Spirit and and having the gift of speaking in tongues because that's your direct connect. Come on to God. You see, grace comes and helps us release a cry and a groan that allows us to lament our losses in a way that we couldn't do on our own. And I sense the Holy Spirit wanting us to take an inventory of our life and count the losses. You know, this is what the Apostle Paul practiced. Philippians chapter three and verse seven, we see Paul making a list of all his impressive credentials. I mean, this dude had a pedigree that compared to nobody else. It qualified him to be one of the most religious and zealous individuals in the eyes of men of his time. And in verse seven, we see him counting it all as loss. How many know sometimes our losses are healthy choices? Losses are not always stripped or taken away from us suddenly. In fact, many times 
It's the Holy Spirit sanctifying us and setting us apart for his plan. You see, in the life of the believer, there are occasions that when you experience loss, it's because you had to walk away. Anybody ever had to walk away from something? I remember being in the garage of of the house, uh, student housing and Stanislaus Way in Santa Rosa. And I remember counting my losses as a 19 year old. I remember making a list of all the friends that I had to walk away from to pursue the call of God on my life. I remember being in the garage and crying out and saying, God, they're yours, they're not mine. I had to make a list. So why does Paul make a list and count his losses? Because he understood that you will never really be loosed or leave what you don't lament. Can I say that again? You and I will never really be loosed from grief, from loss, from sorrow, or we won't leave that place of grief or sorrow. Listen, if we don't make these lists of lament. This is what the apostle Paul said in verse seven. He said, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish or garbage in order that I may gain who? Christ. You see, when I count the loss, I have to confront the loss. And when I confront the loss, I can lament the loss. When I lament the loss, it causes me to let go and lay a hold of all that God has for me. How do you know what God has for you? Far in comparison pales, listen to what is holding you back in this moment. You see, when I don't count the loss, I prevent the Holy Spirit from doing a deeper work in my life that only lamenting provides. It's been amazing because I've actually, since this series series has started, I've been actually just reading and praying the Psalms. It's an amazing journey that the Holy Spirit can take you on. Things will be highlighted. I'll be like, ooh, I didn't know that was there. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Ooh, and you got an ooh in your prayer time before? Ooh, thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving me words of what's going on in my heart. It leads me to my second action step, and that's this. We have to mourn before we move forward. <clears throat> I talked about the last time in uh, the message, God is in the turnaround. We camped in Psalm 30, and in verse 11, I realized that there was a phrase that had jumped out to me that I uh, failed to go deeper in during that message, but it's this. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. Come on, how you know we like the dancing and the gladness part? Yeah. Come on, right? But we don't like dealing with the roots of our sadness. That's just, the, that's just the bottom line. But it says, you have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. I, what, I like what Henry Nowen says. He says this, that the dance of life finds its beginnings in grief. It is the way in which pain can be embraced, not out of a desire to suffer, but in the knowledge that something new will be born out of pain. 
Have you ever noticed how fast culture forces us to move through tragedy? How fast the media forces us to move through loss and sadness, causing us to avoid the processing of our grief. Every day and night on the news, we're inundated by video, commentary, and reports of mass shootings, wars, famines, murders, and natural disasters. They're analyzed and reported, but there is no lamenting. Whose responsibility is it for us to lament? Whose responsibility is it for us to make sure that sorrow is kept sacred? You see, we wonder why we're not sleeping well at night. We wonder why we don't feel anything anymore. We can't explain why we're stuck and we can't explain how our pain has somehow paralyzed us. But I can tell you this, it's because we haven't been given time to process it. Because our media is filled with the bad news. And it's one bad thing to the next bad thing, from this bad thing to even a worse thing. And pretty soon you and I are walking around like zombies and we're not even moved by mass shootings. We're not even moved by murders in our own community. We don't even sit in the pain of what families right here in our neighborhood, we don't even take time to slow down and seek them out and say, hey, is there anything that we can do? Move on to the next thing, because I am busy. I've got a whole life ahead of me, and I can't deal with your pain. In essence, this is what we say. And I believe that God is giving us a tremendous opportunity to keep sorrow sacred. We wonder why there's so much mental illness, depression, drug and alcohol abuse, addiction to prescription medicine. Because we don't know how to cope with all the constant bad news this world throws at us with no time to process. Is this okay? You see, when we don't pay attention to pain, we get stuck in a perpetual cycle of constant defeat. You say, Pastor Dean, I don't want to dwell on those things. I'm not saying to dwell on them. I'm saying we need to give ourselves permission to be not okay. To recognize, listen, when all hell is breaking loose in our community and people are experiencing death and tragedy, listen, a murder two blocks from here. A football coach shot down downtown, Intercom High, was the first person who walked through these doors that I met on the night of the banquet, Coach Grimes. Will we be there? You see, pain in process is called suffering. Suffering is simply pain in motion. You see, this is why I can fail and I can still move forward. I can mourn and still move towards God. 
I can grieve and I can still grow. I can be in pain, but not be paralyzed by it. You see, it hurts. How many know it hurts? It isn't fun. Sometimes I feel like giving up, but suffering gives me a greater purpose to my pain. And that is this. Listen, pain is not going to stop me. No, I'm going to keep walking. Come on. I'm going to keep holding on to my victory that I have in Christ. I'm not going to be paralyzed by my pain because as I move out of my pain, it's called suffering. And the Bible says that suffering gives glory to my God. That I'm not allowing pain, that I'm not allowing grief, that I'm not allowing loss to dictate what's happening in my life. But listen, I start moving. Come on, I start moving. And that suffering, come on, when I put steps to my pain, listen, that suffering brings glory to him. You see, I get it. Suffering is like a cuss word in charismatic and Pentecostal circles. I get it. People will say, Jesus suffered, so I wouldn't have to. No, Jesus suffered so you would know God's promise is always greater than the pain that life brings us. Come on, that in the midst of the pain, I can still declare Jehovah Rapha, my healer. That in the midst of the struggle, I can still call on him that he is my strength. This is what Jesus did for us. This is who he is. The Bible says he was a man of sorrows and pains and acquainted. Again, he just doesn't know about our grief and the pain. He actually shows up in the middle of it. Anybody been in pain lately? I've talked to a few people. Sister Agnes back there. Anybody been in pain lately? Anybody? God help you get through the pain. This is what Jesus did. He's acquainted with grief and sickness, which means he shows up in the midst of it. And he takes it upon himself to carry what without him would actually crush us. Hebrews 12, 2, for he himself endured a cross and thought nothing of its shame because of the joy he knew would follow his suffering. And he is now seated at the right hand of God's throne. Listen to J.B. Phillips' version. It says, think constantly of him, enduring all that sinful men could say against him, and you will not lose your purpose or courage. How many of you want to lose your purpose or courage? None of us, right? Think about him. You see, I think this should be a church where you can come and it be okay not to be okay. where you can begin to process your pain and get the healing Jesus died for. That this become a place, listen, when the hurting walk in through these doors or when the hurting walk across our path outside these four walls, listen, that there is an opportunity because there is honesty that people can be healed. That when they're honest and they tell you at a restaurant, I'm not doing good. Listen, that you would actually say, oh, is anybody taking this seat? Let me talk to you. I'm so thankful that when I came to Jesus, no one offered me a pain-free Christian life. Is this okay, everybody? I, I know this is, this is, this is a, 
Not your usual. If you want to know how to become irrelevant to the community around us, get out of touch with the pain points in our community and the people who are coming who are crying out for help and healing. When I was on vacation, I was actually in, I think I was in Louisiana or Florida, I can't remember where I was at, but I got a text from one of our civic leaders. And the civic leader asked, are you going to be there? I said, hey, I'm on vacation, but let me, let me, let me uh, text all the pastors in Thomas, I'll make sure. We had some staff members from our church go. I had two pastors, two other pastors from our community said, hey, we're going to be there. It's so important, listen, that we are in proximity to people's pain, else we will become irrelevant as a church. And I believe the church has a responsibility to its community to keep sorrow sacred. And it's actually in times of sorrow that the church has an opportunity to minister to the brokenness of our community's soul. There's a church up in uh, Placerville. It's called Green Valley Church. I can't remember the pastor's name who actually uh, planted that church and it thrived and it quickly grew but they attributed the growth to the church of opening its doors to the community when they had suffered loss. And so they started hosting anybody who needed them to, uh, anybody in the community who needed assistance with a memorial service or funeral. The church began to blow up and grow. Church growth experts would go to this pastor. It's like 1500, church of 1500 in Placerville. Hello, you know, Placerville. And they would say, what's your secret? What's your, what's your, he said, we're simply opening our doors to the hurting and the broken. And we're mourning with those who mourn. Luke 19, 41 says that Jesus, as he drew near Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. Jesus himself said in one of the greatest sermons ever, Matthew 5, 4, the the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I like what the J.B. Phillips translation says, how happy are those who know what sorrow means. How many know what sorrow means? I'm glad because I got the definition for you. It's a feeling of deep distress caused by loss, disappointment, or other misfortunes suffered by oneself or others. And what it means is Jesus shows up in the midst of the sorrow and gives us courage and comfort. In other words, sorrow doesn't mean our life is over. It means that God is going to get us to tomorrow. Amen? I love how the message says Matthew 5, 4, says you're blessed when you feel you've lost what is dear to most to you. Let me just say it again. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. I don't know if we have that on the, on the screen, but I'd like to get those up on the screen if I possibly can. You see, Again, Paul says in Romans 12, 14, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. 
These scriptures suggest that taking time to mourn moves me closer to the heart of God and places me in proximity of other people's pain. Are you guys ready for this? A pain-free church, I believe, is avoiding a pain-filled world. Let me get back to the song. You have put off my sackcloth. Suggesting that David first had to put it on. How do you know if the Lord puts it off, that means you put it on. Sackcloth was regarded as a proper garb for serious and sober occasions, much like if you go to a funeral unless otherwise requested, because I've been to some funerals lately that are like color-coordinated and everything. It's, it's a whole thing. But usually I'm wearing a black suit, not a white suit. Right? We, we usually, when we're going to a funeral, we usually wear dark colors. Right? Or just me? Okay, I'm just, talk to me, you guys. It was dark in texture. The sackcloth was dark in texture, and it was deemed the most suitable garb for times of distress, danger, grief, sadness, crisis, and national emergency. We see this in the story of Esther. When Mordecai gets word of the king's decree that the Jews are going to be annihilated in one day and Mordecai throws on the sackcloth and goes to the middle of the city and he cries out and he asks God, to have mercy. Jeremiah, challenging God's people to repent, instructs them to put on sackcloth and roll in ashes. Daniel turns his face to the Lord, seeking God by prayer and pleas for mercy and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Upon hearing uh, the, the prophet Jonah, the Ninevites, come on, the Ninevites actually put on sackcloth and ashes. They humble themselves and revival wins the whole city. You see, it wasn't the act of putting on sackcloth and ashes itself that moved God to intervene in these situations, but the humility that such an action can be demonstrated. In other words, David was saying in Psalm 30 verse 11, when I put on humility, God help me. And that the Lord was able to do in my heart only what he could do. What if in times of crisis, chaos, and tragedy, and loss in our personal life, in our community, and in our nation, and, and, and beyond, we took time to mourn by putting on Christ, modern day sackcloth, putting on Christ. How about if we exchanged hostility for humility? Colossians 3.12, so as God's own chosen people. Do I have any chosen people in here this morning? To God's own chosen people who are holy, set apart, sanctified for his purpose, and well beloved by God himself. Put out a heart of compassion. You know what compassion means? to suffer with. So in other words, if my brother is suffering, I'm gonna put on his suffering and I'm gonna walk with him. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, which has the power to endure whatever injustice or unpleasantness comes with good temper. So how many know if we put on Christ, something has to be put off?
This is going back to Psalm 30, 11. I put off the sackcloth. Come on. And I exchanged mourning for gladness. But now yourselves are to put off. Everybody say put off. This is Colossians 3, 8, and 9. But now you yourselves are to put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. I don't know about you, but I wish I just saw a little bit more sackcloth and ashes today. I wish I saw a little evidence of humility from the church that showed compassion and concern for those hurting, helpless, and hopeless. And my final point as our worship team comes is that what we are going to find in the coming days, in the coming months, in the coming years, because God has prophesied over this house that the broken are coming. And those that you are on the ministry prayer team, you know you know that the broken are coming. The demon-possessed are coming. The oppressed are coming. The misfits are coming. Hello? How many want to be a Holy Ghost hospital? Boldness is found in our brokenness. Psalm 34, 18. I want you to hear this because sometimes we get in this thing where we feel like we can't handle all that God is bringing to us. And guess what? He doesn't expect us to handle it. And this is what I want you to see. Listen, as our, and I say our, everybody say our. As our brokenness increases, as our brokenness increases, God is gonna give us boldness to access everything that we need to minister to broken souls. Listen to this. Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Where is the Lord? Wait, wait, where is the Lord? You mean he's not running away from your mess? You mean he's not running away from your difficulty, your hardships, come on, your overwhelming circumstances? God's not running away. He's not shunning you. No, no, he's running towards you. Come on, he's wanting you to turn to him. Come on, in your time of need. Why? Because he's near. That's what we are. Listen, that's all we are as prayer ministers and pastors. Listen, we're just vessels. We're just conduits of his goodness. We're just conduits, come on, of his power. We're just conduits. It's not us. Hello? No, no, no. we're, We're your biggest fans. We're your biggest cheerleaders. You're broken? God is near. You're crushed? God is near. You're going through a difficult time? God is near. Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, oh God. I love what the message says. It says, a heart heart shattered lives ready for love. Don't for a moment escape God's notice. Psalm 147.3, he heals the brokenhearted 
and he binds up their wounds. Who does it? Who does it? Send them, Lord. Send the hurting. Send the broken. Lord, you got plenty of bandages. Come on. For those who are broken. You got a lot of, come on, healing balm for those who are crushed in spirit. Isaiah 57, 15. I want you to pay attention to this. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Listen to this. I dwell in a high and holy place. Everybody say transcendence. Right? The bigness of our God. Come on, the one who we lift up on Sundays. Come on, the one that we get excited about and we shout to. We're shouting to the greatness of our King. But check this out. I dwell in a high and holy place and with the oppressed and humble of spirit to restore the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. Oh yeah, I'm in the high and holy place. I'm there. But don't you dare ignore the destitute place, the abandoned place. Listen, the one who feels like, listen, has been left behind or left out. The one who feels like God has abandoned them. They're in distress. No, no, God says, no, no, I am there in that place too. You see, we have to function from the revelation that there is a boldness that we can access in our brokenness. So when I see someone who is broken, I'm not trying to fix them. Are you guys still with me? Listen, listen. When I see someone who is broken, I'm not trying to fix them, but instead I'm bringing an awareness to them of how God, how close God is to them in their broken state and in their situation. I'm not like Job's friends trying to explain what he's doing wrong and why they're suffering. No, I encourage them to encounter God's glory in the midst of all that they're going through. That where there is mourning, come on, something is about to move. Where there is grief, something is about to grow. Where there is lamenting, somebody is about to get loose. Something is about to let go. Something about it is about to be gained and that is Christ Jesus, the glory. Why? Because he is near to people who are broken and we can boldly gain access to all that God has for us in our broken state. It's okay to be not okay as long as you don't stay there. Is that all right? Can we be a church that loves and accepts people right where they're at? Come on, that we don't expect them to come in here clean and all together. No, 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 no. I want to see broken folks coming in. Come on, I want to see people all messed up, that God can get in their lives and do something miraculous in their lives. Hebrews 4.12, therefore let us with privilege approach the throne of grace. That is the throne of God's gracious favor with confidence and without fear. Everybody say, without fear. Uh, That's a phrase that God's been resonating in my spirit. Without fear. Without fear. 
so that we may receive mercy for our failures. Amen? And find his amazing grace to help in time of need and appropriate blessing coming just at the right moment. You know, I've been contemplating why I can't get off this subject, and I believe it's because real life church is becoming a place where broken people can find healing. Listen, God is bringing us leaders. He's bringing us pastors. Listen, he's bringing us people, listen, who are burnt, who've been burnt, come on. They're exhausted, they're worn out. Listen, they feel like, they feel like giving up. God is bringing us these people to minister to. And I woke up Wednesday and I turned to Amy and I said, God has put this phrase on my heart and I believe it's for real life. And it's this, come and be healed. You're here this morning under the sound of my voice and you're wondering, why am I here? How did I end up here? It wasn't Google, it was the Holy Spirit drawing you to this place. And I'm here to tell you as a pastor, listen, if you're a leader from another place, maybe you've transitioned, maybe you haven't, wherever you are at in this scale of grief and loss, can I just tell you, come and be healed. Come and be healed. Listen, don't hurry and rush through and and get plugged in and, and get busy. No, no, no. First, do business with God. Let him heal your brokenness. So what? You become a deep well. You become a deep well of his goodness. Come on, you you become a testimony of what God has restored. Come on. Psalm 118, verses five to eight. And I'm gonna ask my prayer ministers to get ready to come, but I wanted us to pray this prayer. We all stand with me because I want us to respond. There's two ways I'm gonna tell you to respond. And I wanted to pray this one together. Actually, Psalm 118 is very, very interesting. I don't have time to get into it, but they believe that this psalm was actually, these verses right here, was the last song that Jesus sang before he was crucified at Calvary. It was this song. And I want us to pray it together. Can we do that? Can you guys read that? On the count of three, this is a prayer, and I want us to pray it together. One, two, three. In my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look in triumph at those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. Now that doesn't mean don't trust people. What it means is, listen, stop running to people first and listen, run to God and let his people get around you, amen? Thank you again for joining us. We pray that message ministered to your heart and lifted your spirit today. Hey, to find out more about joining the RLC online family, you can find us on the Church Center app. You can also subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. God bless you.